hello everyone and welcome to this webinar. I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and this is one of the many webinars we do. And this webinar is based upon a really controversial decision in North London and that's to build a new enlarged incinerator in Edmonton. And we're really lucky in having one of the delegates, um, or not delegates, but representatives from Harringay that is on the North London Waste Authority with us today to talk about his, his experience, what I think was his first meeting. And it's uh, Councillor Isidorus Diakides, and really pleased that you're on here today. Just to, so that people know something about yourself, um, Isidorus, could you tell us something very, very briefly about your background? I suppose it's a bit cosmopolitan. I was born in Africa, Greek origin, uh, lived my early years in Greece. Uh, I studied there architecture and civil engineering before I came for postgraduate studies here during the dictatorship in a bit of a hurry. Uh, I did a few more postgraduate degrees here and uh, eventually I ended up working uh, in uh, the public sector after various other jobs uh, for, for a period of time. And... Uh, getting involved with uh, a lot of political campaigns, particularly a lot of anti-racist work in the early days and uh, of, of that nature and European uh, networks and that kind of thing. The last 30 years or something, oh no, nearly 30 years, I'm a councillor in Haringey as well. Uh, so what, what, made, what made you want to become a councillor? And was it the, your anti-racist work and so on that was your passion you wanted to carry on when you were on the council? Well, in, a, in one sense it was. Uh, there, something that probably is dear to your heart. I, I think I was always very, very, very critical of our political representatives that they don't really have the sometimes either way the guts more than anything else to, to stand up to uh, uh, you know big powers and uh, I used to challenge regularly my world councillor here in uh, Honzi who happened to be the leader of the council as well at the time and he was he used to get really upset and at once he shouted at me and says all right if you do if you know it all why don't you come in to sort it out and I said I will and everybody laughed because nobody thought that I would be selected by everybody, by anybody. So I went in almost like as a challenge. And for one reason or the other, I have stayed now 28 years, but that's life, you know, to some extent. It started a bit like that, but my main thing was always, I'm interested in poverty, I'm interested in environmental issues, and I'm interested in equality and justice and things like this. But, uh, also, I was very, very, very much about doing things properly and honestly and corruption and all, all that. These type of issues were sort of like always crucial. And I think that was the main reason I decided to, to get involved that way rather than just simply with campaigning. So is, is that, you know, interest in environmental issues what made you go on the North London Waste Authority? No, I think, to, to be honest, this comes with a position. I got to be to become appointed by the new leader. Uh, I was asked and accepted to become cabinet member for finance. And 
Additionally, from Haringey, the cabinet member of finance is one of the two people that the council, you know, sends to to the um, North London Waste Authority. Can you tell us? I mean, we're all sort of a bit confused about, um, uh, you know, the position of, of, of members of the North London Waste Authority. As I understand it, uh, um, from, from Haringey, you're not a delegate from Haringey, are you? And you're free to make your own decisions on the NLWA. <laughs> The legal position is quite clear. If you're, if you're a councillor and you're representing the authority on an organisation, uh, on, a, or, you know, the, the council in an organisation, if you are a member of a decision-making body, then legally you are, your priority is that the body that you joined on the board of. In other words, I can't be there and say, that's what Harrogate Council wants. I've got to say, this is the interest of the North London Waste Authority. <laughs> and back into the council, I've got to be very careful because in certain cases, I would not, I, I would declare a non-pecuniary interest and not participating in decisions as well. So for example- I hope that makes it clear, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So, so when, um, you know, uh, the deputation happened last time when you appeared um, before the North London Waste Authority and a lot of reservations came up, were you free to say what you wanted there or did you have to clear what you said with your own party and your own council? Oh, no. no, definitely, definitely not the, the, the end. As I say, the moment that it was my first meeting as well. The moment that I'm a member of that body, uh, of the, the you know the the board of the North London Waste Authority, my only accountability is to that authority. It is not to my party. Is not to my borough. Is nothing else. That is, you know, that, that is the thing. That doesn't mean obviously that politically parties are worried about it. Other interests. They will try to put pressure on you and everything like this. But that the legal position is that my priority as a board member, when I am there, is the interest of the organization, the North London Waste Authority, as a seat. Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed in the uh, NLWA standing orders, they stipulate, stipulate that the NLWA members act only in the, that, that, that body's interest. I mean, yeah. who decides what that interest is? Well, par partly is based on whatever is the constitution of that particular organization. It could be anything basically, but any other organization, private or public or body, whatever it is, voluntary organization, all that kind of thing. The constitution will say what there is, the purposes are, so, I mean, you went on to the North London Waste Authority. Did you know much about it before you went on? On and off, yes. I think you can't be, you can't live in this area and not be aware of all the history and the things that they happen at different times. There were been projects that uh, they had to be abandoned in the past by the authority, controversies and big campaigns, Pinkham Way, all, all that kind of thing. All that area has been very, very compl complicated. And uh, so you tend to learn uh, to, to, to know enough. What isn't very clear sometimes, obviously, is the, seeing it from the inside 
and understanding exactly why certain people do certain things. Uh, that, that, that is the, the new thing for me that I've learned. But otherwise, overall, knowing what it is, and, you know, and, and, and uh, the the major issues of controversy, um, I, I was fully aware of this. So when, you, so when you did see it from the inside and you went in, was there a bit of a cultural shock? Because it wasn't like attending a council meeting. It was basically deputations and Clive Lokes speaking. Well, the thing, the interesting thing was that uh, in many respects, it's not that dissimilar than a full council meeting or, you know, uh, the the interesting thing was there were all these deputations and they seemed to be all very well structured and you know keeping to their time and approaching you know very very carefully the subject uh, but usually there will be after that some kind of response to it some discussion by members say we heard all that you know or that kind of thing or asking some direct questions or some things like this and that was the surprise to me. That, that's not unusual probably in many organizations, but it was a bit of a surprise to me. And I thought, well, we heard some interesting stuff there, some really worrying, uh, worrying uh, as well possibilities. Therefore, you know, let's discuss it. And, and that is where, where I got stuck uh, initially. And that explains probably my, my reaction. At the same time, um, I think, it was, it was, I was told straight away that, look, we've been through these things again and again and again. Therefore, we have a, an answer to it, you know, and you will see the answer. And of course, that wasn't acceptable to me as a new member. That, that, that was all. It was probably, as you, as you called it, a cultural shock rather than anything else. But nevertheless... But that's how it started. Yeah. But when you listen to what um, you know, people had to say in the deputations, and, and you're quite right, they were really well structured and very good deputations. I mean, I gather you said that you were quite moved by what you want, what you heard, and that's why you wanted the discussion. What was it about those deputations that moved you that really want, made you want to ask other questions? Look, the, the, the key issues that were raised that I wanted explanations and, and clarification. The first one obviously hit me very strongly. It was about that there might be still a potential health hazard for people living in the vicinity. And uh, one of the uh, deputations that, that maybe who seems to have an expertise in this field, which UNESCO, if I remember rightly, he was quoting various scientific uh, uh, reports and things like that. So I just wanted to make a, a, a response. Like many other people, uh, I happen to know people in the vicinity who had either miscarriages or uh, or perinatal uh, fatalities. So I thought, you know, doesn't mean that there's any any correlation, but it certainly it certainly hits an arrow. So that was the first one. That, uh, that worried me. The second bit then was that there were some serious uh, uh, questions about whether we're calculating the, uh, uh, the, the, you like the capacity and uh, how much it needs to, you know, the, the incinerator, the, more, the new incinerator to burn in order to then justify, if you like, the expenditure and be viable, et cetera, et cetera. 
uh, I didn't assume that there isn't an answer. I just wanted to hear this answer, you know, and why people said it. And and so there were two or three of that of these issues that uh, we definitely needed to. Uh, I, I felt needed some discussion. I was, I was looking for some reassurance more than anything else. So, so it was a the health issue and b the capacity of the incinerator and yes, its need, and its need for waste. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I, you didn't have a discussion then, but. Clive Lopes has sent letters to everyone who made a deputation. Have you seen those letters? Uh, I, 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 I haven't seen the letters themselves, but they're going to be sent to me sort of like the day I was, I was down there to see with my own eyes, basically, what the, you know, the installations are, the work that, that has been done and all that kind of thing, which is quite eye-opening. But more than that, I think, you know, and don't read anything more than what I say to what I'm going to say, is that we did have a Zoom discussion of the 12 panel members, you know, uh, about the, the various issues of concern. We agreed that we'll have at least another two, and we're actually going through to get full briefings on every aspect of it, and then see, A, whether um, we have explained, uh, uh, you know, reasonable explanations. B, if there are some things, what can we change, you know, in the plans within you know, the capacity we've got and all that, all that kind of thing. So it, the, the, there is a much more positive response to what I said at the time, where I was demanding some discussion. I think it's happening, that discussion. To be okay, so you, you, you've got a follow-up discussion. Uh, but from what you're saying, people were saying, what can we change? Were they ever asking what people were demanding and that we have a pause? Again, uh, we need to really to see, first of all, whether there is a case. I think uh, whether there is a case for a pause. You know, that, that kind of thing. And it might be. If there is, you know, have to do it. And it could be on a number of grounds. There's a grounds that uh, the circumstances have changed since the plans were drawn. It could be grounds that uh, the a new evidence has come out. Grounds on finances, are post-COVID, and what are the, the, the other issues and all that kind of thing. There may be grounds like this, but before you take a decision on a project of that magnitude, on which people have been working day and night for, for, for years, and uh, we're already almost 100 million pounds has been spent on preparatory works and bits and pieces. Uh, you, you know, as a responsible, as person responsible for public finances and other things, you've got to be very careful. You don't, don't just go in and say, stop. You just want to see what, that, what it means. So that is the discussion, obviously, that will be followed up, as I said. Uh, but once the 12 members, all of us, have been through all this discussion, uh, asked every question possible, what is the thing? then we will actually decide whether you know we continue or whether we make any 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 other any looking at any other alternatives i mean if if you do that which is great um i mean it seemed from clyde Lokes' letters to the people made the deputation he was saying it's a done deal and he was saying you know it's uh, the most bothering thing in the world there won't be any health problems and so on um i mean is there any way we can help you because we know the people who made the deputations is there any way we can help you and the other delegates with information that might help you make your decision 
it could be, but let me just first say, and I, I really want to, to make that, uh, to be absolutely fair, Clive Lokes has been, I don't know how many years, chair of the organization. He's 13. extremely hard, brought it again and again to a stage. New councillors come in and they ask again the, the basic things and thinks, when on earth are we going to get there? Because every time, you know, you're pushing it back. And uh, things as well go out of date very fast and also inflation comes in and figures, get, you know, get inflated. So I, I, I understand 100% you know, that, that position, you know, it's almost, I don't know if you know the ancient Greek uh, thing, oh, the, the myth of Sisyphus, you know, it's just like somebody condemned you to, 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 to roll that big boulder up towards the top of the hill and when you get near there, it, it rolls back again and you have to start again and again. And I, I can see that, that kind of feeling as well. And I, I, that might have made uh, a bit harsh the response, if you like, uh, from, 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 you know, uh, from the people who are following, who, who, are, who are keen now to see it, get on with it. We got planning permissions, we got this and that and the other. You know, it took us seven years of working on it. Let's get on. Might, it doesn't mean that it is right, but what I'm saying is might explain the psychology of it rather than uh, that any wrong wrong motives if you like <laughs> any other wrong motives. yeah well i i can understand the the, the psychology of that but because you know it's taken so long you've got an incinerator that was the decisions were made some time ago and everything's yeah. moved on the technology's moved on uh the need to recycle the ability to recycle is moved on um and you're now in a situation where in a way you're in a new situation and you know, but what do you make of your own shadow minister of um, energy and the new Green Deal, Alan Whitehead, who is now says that the age of incineration is over and that using incineration to have to burn waste to heat community homes has mm. only a marginal impact on climate change. Yeah. And when we see in Europe, they're shutting down. Denmark shut, it, shut seven of them down, yeah. phasing out all the others. Are yeah. you not afraid if you don't really look at all of this, you'll be agreeing to a white elephant because Clive Lokes psychologically has got his plot pride glued to it? No, I, no, I, I didn't say that uh, there's anything wrong with the psychology of any of my colleagues. <laughs> all, 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 all I'm saying is that I might explain why. Uh, as regards the overall situation, A, I wouldn't know enough, but I am aware. I said that uh, in... Um, in Germany, for example, uh, where, which I happen to have a discussion. I'm going to have another discussion with fellow councillors uh, from various European countries about uh, waste disposal in general. Five years ago, the representatives from Germany were convincing us how well ahead of everybody else were technologically on incineration and how it was becoming safe, 100%, etc. So I was expecting that, and they were ahead of Britain actually at the time. I, I was expecting something similar, but recently I realized that they do have concerns in Germany now, public concerns constantly, you know, and they're, they're arguing as well. So it, it, to a certain extent, that hasn't proved so con comprehensive, conclusive. The alternatives, nevertheless, are not easily uh, available there that I am aware of yet. And that is one of the things we're exploring. And is it that 
uh, you, you, this is the best way to go forward, but all you've got to do is to minimize or mitigate for any negatives, or is it that it is completely the wrong one and there is an alternative, very obvious one? Um, the, 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 that, that is really the stage that I, myself and uh, my colleagues would, would need to, to get our heads around, you know, responsibly. Don't want to end up that in five years time or 10 years time, um, we've got a crisis and we don't know what to do with, the, with, with, our, with our rubbish, especially since, however hor horrible it sounds, uh, we're exporting some of our rubbish to other countries now at the moment. If these countries refuse to do it anymore, for example, then we have another crisis there. So there are, there are all, all, all that kind of thing. So we've got to act responsible, responsibly as much as possible. But I don't think personally that I would like to take any risks with uh, either pe people's health or overall uh, with climate in general, you know, the, the whole thing. I've got to be convinced as well that uh, this is the best solution uh, within within the parameters we're operating. Does it does it sort of um, concern you as well about the issue of climate change? Um, you know, James Hansen is probably the leading climate change person in the world, um, and the most well known one has said we've got to stop emissions. We can't do it anymore. Net zero is not a start, not enough. We've got to stop yeah. emissions now, or we've got a real problem. The incinerator. It spews out something like 700 tons of 700,000 tons of carbon dioxide per yeah. year. And I, we, we did a webinar with someone who's a carbon capture expert, and we asked him, you know, uh, would incinerators help with climate change? And he said, no, not unless they have real carbon capture technology. He said there's only one incinerator in the world that has that, it's in Norway. So Edmonton doesn't have it. And it could make the climate emergency worse. Does that worry you? Well, that would worry me very much. But also, I wasn't even aware about this incinerator in Norway. And I thank you for alerting me to it, because I need to. to uh, I will ask to find more about it. To be honest, uh, I do appreciate that there is a lot of discussion apparently within the North London Waste Authority about carbon capture and carbon storage. And all kind of thing, and I do appreciate that it's still there are irresolvable issues, especially about the storage after capture, you know, and 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 all that kind of thing. How safe these things are, and therefore the, it is a bit vague, if you like, the plan on that side of it at this moment in time. Whether we can tighten it up is another story, or, or whether it is feasible. I mean, if it was feasible, then one of my worries is removed. You know, to be honest, from the plan, if, if it is feasible, even if it means spending a little bit more somewhere, uh, but it does cover that side of it. It's not the only one, but it would be one of my concerns at the moment. Yeah, uh, but okay. it, it definitely it definitely worries me uh, because it, it is obvious that we we should be doing even more than what we're doing at the moment for all this climate change, all the you know the, the ozone layers, etc. Uh, and how, I don't know how, but we have to. <laughs> so we can't risk missing any opportunity to do something about it. Okay. Well, I mean, we 
We've gone on for a long time now, and maybe I could just ask you one other question that does, I think, trouble a lot of people, and that's about the, um, um, the, the North London Waste Authority and its accountability. It's sort of set up as a quango, and no one knows where its accountability lies. The government says, or DEFRA says, sometimes it's not accountable to them. Local authorities, and they're in Enfield, they say they won't talk about the incinerator because it's to do with the um, NLWA and so citizens don't know who to go to because everyone passes the buck and hold ha up their hands and says it's not me gov. Uh, do you think we need to make the NWLA more well, accountable? Can we find a way of doing that? The, the, it is always useful. Uh, well, I think it's necessary that we always see every organization how we make it more accountable. I'm starting that not in any as an evasive thing it's just something i believe no matter even if it looks accountable but let me just say something that is quite interesting every other incinerator in the country is publicly as is privately owned and local authorities by staff this is the only one as i understand that it is publicly owned now the second thing about it is there is a particular model of operating and the, this model uh, I've seen it in many, many European countries working very, very well as well, is where when you need something, group of local authorities, you know, group together and they set up something that they jointly own and manage and they're accountable for. So that kind of thing. So that is that model. And this is, a, you know, one that I think that it could work. That doesn't mean that it works. But what I'm saying is, in in general principle, I prefer that model, if you like, rather than being relying entirely what the private sector will, pro will produce. And uh, you know, and if I don't like it, I've got to go to the another one and that kind of thing. And if there isn't another one, I'm trapped. And uh, you know, contractual relations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's let's start with that point of view. Accountability is it accountable? First of all, it's a public body. I don't. I haven't asked the, the legal question, but I assume that it is freedom of information request and things like this apply to it because it is a public body. Uh, and, and, and generally it would be ombudsmen and people like this would be. The councillors themselves who are the board could be as well accountable, obviously in their own way back. back. Whether it's too complicated for the average person to find out how exactly all that kind of thing works in order to keep that particular person accountable. That is another story which we, we might look at it. But I still need to work out in my own head whether there is a serious uh, accountability deficit there or not on the organization and what can be done to be tweaked. Okay, I mean, okay, well, we'll finish it there because we, we, we've, you know, we've gone on for a long time and I think you've answered a lot of questions. And I, you know, I, I really congratulate you for coming on because a lot of councillors wouldn't do that. And, um, you know, they would find it very difficult because this is such a controversial issue, um, but you did and, and, and that's great. And I'm really pleased that you're thinking about it. I'm really pleased you've got, um, you know, more discussions coming on about it. And I'm really pleased you're thinking about the accountability issue because though are the things that I think we're all worried about. So, you know, thank you very much for joining uh, us today. Fra Francis, before yeah. we go, let me, let me just say thanks. But th thanks for, 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 for inviting me. Secondly, I do think that 
we've got to establish very strongly the principle that if members of the public have worries, have concerns, we've got to treat them with respect, whether we will in the end agree or disagree collectively or through the political systems, etc. We've got to do it. Thirdly, for your representatives, yeah, you need to keep on pushing them. I, I'm just saying that generally. I'm an old man now. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be around for you know in politics for too long. Uh, but for from my perspective, I tell you, it helps tremendously if you don't give up, but you keep on putting the pressure and you keep on making the demands. You help the individuals as well, strengthen their resolve within bureaucracies and all that kind of thing, etc. Okay. Okay. So, but thank you very much okay. overall, and hopefully we will uh, have, we'll, we'll make progress. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again, and uh, you know it's been great having you. So we'll end this part of the interview now.